Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our podcast, Beer and Loathing. This week, we have a special twist for you. It's not necessarily a good one. We had some technical difficulties recording it. You know, we do this at a bar every week. There's a lot of noise and blah, blah, blah. So uh, we had to use our backup audio recording for this one. It's a little tougher to hear, but the good news is I think we more than made up for the audio difficulties with sparkling, witty, and unpredictable conversation with uh, a very interesting special guest. So welcome, everybody. A brand new beer and loathing. And I'm going to be... I'm going to be either... This may be boring. I don't know how many people watch on Meerkat or listen to this podcast um, and don't watch or haven't watched the, the television show I've been doing on the weekends uh, on MSNBC. Uh, if you don't fall in that category, if you don't watch it or haven't watched it or you've never heard of it, you're probably going to be bored for the next few minutes, so I'm just, I'm just going to warn you. But uh, if you do watch it or have watched it or are interested in it or whatever, um, today was sort of a, a, a big day because we... We announced that um, I'm not on the show anymore. Um, I actually haven't been doing it for the last month or so. A few people noticed that on Twitter. It was, it was. I think this was flattering. It was certainly interesting. For the two and a half years I did the show, I would check Twitter after the show, and there were always there were always some very very nice people, some really cool people who had you know positive comments, or even if they didn't like a segment, it was you know it was constructive. But there was, you know, you'd certainly get plenty of. Uh, you know, you've ruined television, Steve. Uh, uh, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. But for the last month, not being on the air, every tweet I get is, we miss you, please come back. And it's been, it was really flattering to, uh, um, to read all that for the last month. And I, and I was really frustrated that there wasn't much I could, I could really say because we had to, like, coordinate all this stuff, like, internally at MSNBC and blah, blah, blah. So finally today we got to announce um, I'm not doing the weekend show anymore. I'm going to be doing um, – I'm going to host – Meet the Press Daily, MTP Daily, on uh, Mondays. That's Chuck Todd's off day. He works a six-day week, so Monday is his off day. I'm going to post that then. Uh, I'm going to be reporting on politics during the day, during prime time, just be on as many shows as I can be on, um, covering the presidential race. And I'll be uh, sitting in for Chris Matthews when he uh, when he takes time off too. So I'm really like, I'm really excited uh, uh, for the new gig. I'm. You know, I'm going to miss the weekend show. I mean, people who know me will know mainly that I've complained for the last two and a half years about not having a, a life on weekends. Um, once a month, I was good for, um, I'd try to go to sleep at like 10, 10 o'clock or so on a Friday night, and then 11 o'clock would come, and I'd still be awake, and then 12 o'clock would come, and I'd be like tossing and turning, and then by 3 in the morning, I would just give up and, and go into the office, and I would do the show on no sleep, and then the next day, I'd be a zombie, and... So I'm looking forward to not dealing with that anymore. But the show itself has been like a really cool experience. We were given four hours of, of just airtime on the weekends, and we were kind of told, you know, do something with it. And um, and the people I'm going to miss the most, I have to say, besides the great people I've worked with and all the loyal viewers, the people I'm going to miss the most, and I know they're out there, and I don't know if they're watching this, uh, but it's the people who, on a Saturday night, you know, I don't know, maybe they... They go out to their local bar, you know, like this, and they drink or whatever, and they, and they come home and they put on lockup. And at some point during lockup, they fall asleep. And I try to picture these people every week because then about four or five hours later, they come to, and there's this political talk show hosted by this, like, 35-year-old dweeb interviewing some random congressman. And all they knew is that when they fell asleep, they were watching lockup. So I've always, like, 
I've always kind of wondered who those people are. I've known they're they're maybe out there, and I hope if they if they did wake up during our show that maybe they found it interesting, and maybe they stayed tuned, and maybe we got some new viewers and some new friends out of that, and, and maybe maybe one of you is one of them, and maybe you'll talk to us on this uh, on this Meerkat broadcast in the history of broadcasting. So it's something we're very proud of. It's something we take seriously. Um, we take questions live from our audience uh, on Meerkat. Uh, our buddy Jeff Eldridge, who usually moderates that, isn't here, but these guys are, will shout them out to me, don't worry. And um, Jeff might be showing up later, and maybe you're listening to this on the podcast a few days later. And if you are, welcome to you. And let me introduce now our special guest for this week. My guest is known for many things, including a voracious work ethic that absolutely puts me to shame. At around 4 a.m. every day, he wakes up and types a simple message into Twitter. What did I miss? As in, what news cycle events played out during the few hours I shamefully took a break from work in order to sleep? And that is just the first of around 150 tweets that he sends out on any given day. Joe Weisenthal does this while at the same time running the market site for Bloomberg News and hosts the appropriately titled What Did You Miss? on Bloomberg Television. And before that... He spent six years at Business Insider, working his way up to executive editor, while the site experienced exponential growth. His world is the world of markets and finance and other things I will never understand, no matter how hard I try, but he also knows plenty about politics and the media and poker, at least according to one online bio that I read. He got his start as an analyst for the money management firm Prentice Smith, then he started writing about financial issues for a blog that he called The Stalwart. And that led to his current career in journalism, and so I am excited to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Joe Weisenthal. Welcome you. Thanks for having me. I've been excited all week, ever since you emailed me last week and said, do you want to come on? I was like, yes, very much so. So thanks for having me. My first question is, while I was reading that introduction and talking about my own boring career stuff, um, rounded to the nearest 10, how many tweets did you send out while I was doing that? I only retweeted your last <laughs> letter. And I, no, I may have and maybe tweeted once directly. I think that was it. Because I, I want to... I'm like, a little embarrassed by how much I tweeted. Really? Well, I don't, I don't mean to, like... But, so, I mean, I knew your name going back five or six years, but I, I remember this story in the New York Times, yeah. and, and I want to just... I want to read the first paragraph with people right. and, and ask you a few things about this, because this made such yeah. an impression on me. This was a May 10th 2012, and the headline, this is a New York Times article, Joe Weisenthal versus the 24-hour news cycle. Joe Weisenthal wakes up around 4 a.m. most weekdays, afraid that in the five or six hours he's been sleeping, something happened that could move financial markets. His alarm is his cell phone, and after he silences it so that his wife can sleep, he rolls from bed, starts to type, still in his pajamas, in the darkness of his apartment at the edge of the financial district. And the first thing he types... Oh, we're getting a phone call here, Eric. I'm going to decline it if that's okay. <laughs> Four, eight, oh, it's the Domino's guy. And the first thing he types, the first of about 150 daily messages he posts on Twitter is almost always this, what did I miss? I'm going to give the phone back to Eric so we can talk to Domino's. But is that still your life? Yeah, I mean, it basically is. I sleep a little more than I used to. And, um, you know, I think, like, in those days, there was a real value to that because, you know, t- early 2012, we were still basically experiencing the echo of the financial crisis. We still had the Eurozone crisis. Every day there was some headline in the morning. It's like some Italian bank stock was getting slammed or whatever it was. And so there really was a ton that was happening every day while I was going to sleep. 
or sorry, while I was sleeping, and I wanted to catch up fast. Well, that's the thing too. I realize you so you cover markets, yeah. yeah. And in that sense, right. they do never sleep because you're talking yeah, about really stuff don't. happening across the globe. And everything, it, everything's interconnected, especially especially over the last seven years. I would say there's been an explosion of awareness about what's going on in Asia, Asian markets, what's going on in European markets, and it all seems to sort of interrelate and correlate. And so, yeah, the first thing I wanted to know is, all right, catch me up to speed on the last six or seven hours while I was sleeping so I could start the day and know what matters. But then that, that, I think there's something else, too, just about your, your personality and your, your work ethic drive, whatever you want to call it, because I'm one of these people, like, I mean, I, 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 I need, like, I, was, I complain about the 4.30 wake-up call on weekends, and I tell people it's 4.30. By the end, it was like 6. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, give me a 9-to-5 job, and I need to carve out, like, an hour to yeah. get out of the building, walk around, right. you know, just stay, just not not be at my desk. Well, I and, do, like, I don't know, early on, like, years ago, actually, it was in high school when the Lewinsky, Monica Lewinsky stuff broke, and I remember, like, seeing the Drudge Report, and I was like... And I didn't, and I was like, this is really fucking cool. That, like, this guy with his website is just seems to be, like, owning this story, and can, he can do whatever he wants, and he can just, like, put any headline he wants. And I didn't know then or anything that I wanted to get into media, but I, I remember, like, thinking that is just really cool, that this is how, this is... And that was, yeah, right, so the Drudge Report with Lewinsky was, like, that was the beginning of, of, was, of online... It was the beginning of this one guy at his computer... Saying whatever he wanted, nothing in between. And so, when I eventually started getting into media and getting into blogging, I like launched my blog, The Stalwart, and I think it was 2005. It was this. I was excited by the same things that like someone could just sit there at their computer and essentially be a publication or be a platform, and then absorb all these different things that came in and then relay it to readers. And I've always, I've always just found that idea to be incredibly powerful and incredibly And you're, you're also, like, I mean, you're, you're now as, again, like, I don't, and maybe in the next hour we can, yeah. you can teach me this in a, in a, in a yeah. I don't understand markets. I, you know, oh, the, the bond liquidity is yeah. <laughs> liquefied this week, or what, I don't, I don't, I just, if That's people, about as good as, I mean, that's, like, not much, you can, you can pass I mean, on I'll that. give you one, like, you can pass on there's the whole thing, like, I know everybody is outraged about currency manipulation. Yeah. And I don't understand it, and, I, and I've read the, like, currency manipulation sure. for dummies, and I still don't understand it, or, right. or just, you know, basic, like, banking transactions yeah. and, and interest rates, I, I said, who's paying who the interest, I, I, I struggle with this stuff, yeah. I, you know, is that common? I think it's incredibly common, and I think, um, you know, to me, markets are the best story in the world, and by that I mean every day people are losing billions of dollars, making billions of dollars, and in addition to the direct human drama, I mean, that is exciting enough that people are making and losing a ton of money, markets are the reflection, they're essentially, um, they're the EKG of the world, because as soon as something happens, you see a reaction on a chart, there's an earthquake somewhere. There's an earthquake off the Chilean coast, and instantly you can see copper futures jump because Chile is a um, major copper producer. And so I just think that's incredibly cool. Anything that could happen in the world, theoretically, can instantly appear. One experience, it was um, in 1997, I graduated from high school. Um, I mean, should I be invest? Like, should I be investing more? I, I probably should, right? Like, Look, saving money and investing and some stocks and some bonds. It is a pretty good track record. Like, I mean, it's like, it's, there are many good arguments against doing that. Let's put it that way. All right. Well, that, that's going to be on my list of things to do. So, well, let's get to, um, 
let's get to know you a little bit here. Right. Well, actually, you said something interesting to me before um, before we started this, yeah. and you said you're in the financial news world now, but when you were growing up, yeah. you were you were a politics guy. You were yeah. a politics story. No, when I was growing up, like in high school, and most of my college... Where, where did you grow up, by the way? I lived in uh, Vermont during high school. Where in Vermont? Brattleboro, Vermont. Oh, okay. Southern tip. And then um, in college... Do you, do you know, by the way, I am a, a fake graduate of the University of Vermont. I did not know. Wikipedia, for some reason, <laughs> I think a friend from back home did well, that, this. that counts. Credits me as Where's a... Where did you actually graduate? Uh, Boston, well, Boston University, but I'm on diploma. But if you ask the, uh, if you ask the registrar's right. office, I did graduate. I just owe But you them, never went to UVM. I owe them 25 bucks. No, Wikipedia not only says I went to UVM, I was a reserve guard on the 2004 NCAA tournament basketball team. So there's someone trolling you. So, well, I, I'm proud of this, frankly. Yeah, I mean, that was be. like, that's my proudest athletic yeah. achievement, you know? I mean, that's like, before that, it was, you know, it was like steal the bacon in gym class. I came in second place once, but now I was on the UVM basketball. So anyway. Congratulations. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I worked hard for it. Um, so you grew up in Brattleboro. I grew up in Brattleboro, um, and I was a really big, uh, I, I, your podcast viewers won't be able to see this, but I, in 1996, I was a volunteer on the Bernie Sanders campaign when he was running for Congress. I can, uh, I'll show you on my Instagram, which is not going to do is very much. Is this a picture of you and Bernie together? Yeah, yeah, oh, I'll, this I'll is find fantastic. it. It'll, it'll take a second, because it's way back there. So you were, uh, I mean, you were, you were a little socialist. I was, yeah, I was a little socialist, I was. And um, we could talk about it. Anyways, oh, here it is. So there's, okay, you can show it to the mirror. We'll post people. this on our Tumblr. Yeah. Uh, but here's so you a, can see Bernie oh, this in is fantastic. And there's Yeah, you know, I got to say, and, and again, I'm sorry, uh, podcasters, you can't, uh, listeners, you can't see this. He looks exactly the same. Yeah. Bernie is, or me? Both of us. You know, right. come to think of it. Yeah, but Bernie especially. Yeah. He really looks the same. Yeah. And so did you, did you get that, to talk to him? Did you get to meet yeah, him? Yeah. Like, so that was our high school teacher, Mr. Kip, and he was like a socialist, and he basically assigned volunteering for Bernie like as part of class. Like you kind of had to volunteer <laughs> for Bernie. Uh, was, like, was, it, was 96 a close race for him? Uh, no. He won. It was a house race, and he won... Because that ninety four had been think, the, had tough year for him. It was a Republican yeah, wave, there was a huge Republican wave, yeah. right? And no, I mean, I think like there was some tension, but it was never. I don't think it was ever too much. Tension. Have you? Is he somebody? Have you? Interviewed no, I haven't stayed in touch or anything. Do you think you could you could use that to get some kind of like interview or? or? I mean, uh, it'll be uh, one day. I would like to interview him, or, like have like a good interview just about his economic um, policies, and I would bring that up and see. Well, yeah. So, what do you think? You're, you're, you you started out in Vermont as a Bernie Sanders, now yeah. apparently forced by Mr. Mr. Kip or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever's, I probably you know. Uh, but uh, what do you, so, what do you think of Bernie Sanders now? Well, I like him. I, I you know I like. Um, it's funny because I really like markets. I love financial markets. But I'm a little bit of like a pure uh, free market skeptic, and um, I, I, I I'm a fan. I don't know who I and you know what I really like. He is a brilliant economic advisor. There's someone named Stephanie Kelton. She was a uni- uh, professor at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and UMKC has a really heterodox economics department. And she went. And she advised. She's on the Senate Budget Committee, working for him. And now I believe she advises him. And she has a lot of um, interesting views about how defi- deficits don't matter, which I agree with, by and large. I mean, I don't think we're ever, you know, we can't really run out of money when you print your own currency. And um, and so I really like. I really like his economic advisor. Explain. Explain that. I mean, that's interesting. Like, yeah. Deficits don't matter. And I've. I've so that's actually not right. I, as soon as I. Is there a that, number when it finally does matter? I don't know. Theoretically, but I'm not like. 
if I were to rank my hundred like top concerns about the U.S. economy, the national debt would definitely not make that list. Let's put it that way. Because people who say like, look at look at how much money we have to spend every year just on interest on the national debt. And if yeah, we but it's silly. We, like we we have to pay in U.S. dollars. You can't run out. It's like it's a, a good analogy. Are you getting this currency manipulation thing now? That's where you're going with that. No, that's it. We can talk about that later. But a good analogy is like, should we should it, we could manipulate? Our could currency? an airline ever run out of frequent flyer miles? No, of course not. It, the, the, the concept is laughable on its face. Now you could have a situation in which the airline like maybe gives everyone too many frequent flyer miles, and then everyone tries to book a ticket and they can't. Right. That'd be a problem. But then we have a that would that's what we would know is inflation. And so essentially, you could like spend so much money that the dollars aren't worth as much. But you can't really run out. And so I'm not really worried about the debt we owe. It's just not a big deal. Um, they, deficits matter in the sense that during weak economic times, we probably want to run higher deficits. And when the economy is really rearing, we probably want to run lower deficits. But they don't matter in the sense like, oh, it's like this big existential threat. It's, 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 it's not something, there's not a scenario where we're going to get to a certain point and then the people we owe it I don't to. Think so. Do we owe it to people or do we owe it to. Well, yeah, we do. I mean, I guess technically. Machines or, or what? No, you, know, we, you know, we owe it to ourselves mostly and the Social Security and the Fed and some China, but I'm not. That's not really a real I, I, if I If the MSNBC thing doesn't work out for me, I want Bloomberg to hire me for a show called Steve Asks Really Dumb Economic Questions. You know what the thing is? <laughs> dumb economic questions are the best because, A, most people, including myself, can't answer them. But, B, that's actually what everyone wants to know. So, also, we can see, we can see how, how do we you can like, look at some How do you like hosting the show, by the way? <laughs> it's funny. I like it way more than I ever thought I would. Um, what were you scared of when you... Well, you know, I'm like an internet guy. And I come from the internet. And so when I, like, the thought of doing TV, I was like, eh, I don't know, like, do people watch TV? Does it matter? But I love it. It's so fun. It's like, I love my co-hosts. And I love the idea that, you know, like, you turn on a camera, and you get to talk to someone smart. And then you, like, turn off the camera, you're done. It's like, wow, like, that's the best job in the world. Like, it's so it's so great. Like, what the, you can't complain about it. Oh, I, I find many ways to complain about it. I'll give you the list. It's, like, it's great. Like, they turn it on, and you, like, talk to smart people for a while. And, like, and then it's, like, and the greatest, it's, like, did you But did you great. find, like, a difference? So, um, for me, I started out as a guest. And then, you know, yeah, they made yeah. me the contributor. And then I was on the panel show for a while, The Cycle. And then they gave me up. Right. And, and such a huge difference. I, I liken it to some people, like, in, in uh, print journalism, I started out as a writer. Yeah. And then, you know, the next step up in that career world was editor. Yeah. And I realized when that happened, I was like, you know, these are two totally different skill sets. Like, to be a good writer does not mean yeah, you're really a good are. editor. To be a good editor doesn't no, necessarily mean you're a There's something writer. bizarre in media where, like, people think that being an editor is necessarily the next step to being a writer. Right. That's really stupid. Like, people should, like, they really are two different careers. When that was the thing I thought about television, too, like, I, yeah. I just, I felt very confident as a guest. Yeah. You know, like, ask me any question and I'm just gonna, like, boom, I, yeah. I got it. And then as the host, I realized right away, totally different skill set. Yeah. Because you're, like, when you're the guest, it's sort of like you're the batter waiting for the right pitch. Yeah. And you can ignore all the other ones and you just, yeah. you know when the pitch comes yeah. and you swing for it, but you're the host you got to be paying attention to every single pitch. Every, so I, you know. See, I like... I never was that comfortable as a guest. I mean, I had gone on TV several times, but you never really know how long you're going to have to explain yourself. You never really know what the host is going to ask. The host might want to talk about something in a weird way, and it's not how you want to talk about it. So I love being a host much more than I ever love being a guest, because you just, like... I love, like, getting to conceive of what the whole conversation is going to be about. And I love, like... 
I love booking guests, and I love one of the things I've really enjoyed doing is finding guests for TV that haven't done much TV before. Right. People that I really like, I find that really satisfying. So um, we've kept a running list. Um, well, it's it's in my head, but I've kept a running list of the people who we put on up, and then we saw them on Face the Nation, yeah, yeah. Meet the Press, uh, you cool. know those shows. And it was like it's a really good feeling. Yeah. No. It's like, like you know. see people that went on, and then suddenly like. Then you like, feel good, like you've given people more attention and opportunities that they didn't have before. And then you reach out and you say, listen, we gave you your start because you do us a small favor, and then they're like, who are you? Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, that's, that's the problem. Um, good news, Jeff Eldridge has arrived, our, our normal moderator, so he's going to, he also brought a delicious looking pie with him. baked ziti. Baked ziti. This looks... Donuts. All sorts sorts of things that our podcast audience will appreciate. We have a picture of Bernie Sanders and we have a giant dish of ziti here. But anyway, if you're on Meerkat, Jeff's now plugged in. We'll check in with him in a minute and and see what you guys are are talking about. But um, I want to get to our award-winning icebreaker questions because people love these. I'm nervous about this. Well, I got really... Last week I hit rock. Can we pause for a... Oh, go ahead. So we live on the same block. We do. And I've seen you a couple of times on my block. And so this whole, like... And I like I was in like the drugstore with my wife, and I was like, "Oh my god, I think that's Steve Kornacki over there." But I was like too nervous to say hi because I'm like a very awkward person. So am I. Yeah. And like you're on TV, <laughs> and so I'm like, "Oh, that's really cool." He's on show. On I mean, I have a show too, but I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." He's like on MSNBC, and so it was like finally like only the third time I saw you. You were with your mother. I was, yeah, I was with my wife, but then finally I was like, "Hey, I'm Joe." But I had like seen you twice before that, but I was like too nervous. Because I mean, the drugstore. Where else did you see me? I don't know, just on the corner. I'm hoping I wasn't doing anything embarrassing. I, no, no, we're just like in the drain area. No, because like sometimes like if I if I'm if it, we just got off the show or something, it will look like I'm talking to myself on the street. Well, I talk and, and to and myself I, too. <laughs> but, I'm, but anyway, you mentioned icebreakers, and I was just thinking about how shy I was before. I'm like, oh, should I go up and say hi? Do you know who I am? He does follow me on Twitter. Oh, I have but, the exact same. Yeah. I, you know, I always err on the side of. Uh, not talking to the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I like the worst reporter in that way. Because, I am too. Like, yeah. good report, like, that's actually why one thing I love about markets, love, is that like I don't have to like ask like the Nikkei for a quote. I just like look at it and see like, oh, that's what's happening. So I don't have to go up to people like, hey, will you talk to me? Because it's like, I just, this I was, is the I was and remain, I, I got to be careful saying this because my new role for uh, MSNBC <laughs> is a reporter, but, you know, I mean, I remember it'd be like, I'd have the call list of like eight people that I want to call for a story, you know, some Senate election or something, and it'd be like, some people, it was just, it worked, and you had a good rapport with yeah. them, and I, I love calling them, but then there'd be other people, I'm like, God, it's going to be really awkward. It's yeah, going to be yeah. a lot of like, yeah, I've I, never been good at that. I ask the question, I get like three word response, and I can't read the tone, and then, you know, it's really like... You know, or I get the press secretary, and I know it's all bullshit. But then, you know, how do you, you know, a bad? I had horrible relationships when I was doing day-to-day beat reporting. I had horrible relationships with press secretaries yeah, usually because yeah. I just I didn't know how to play that game really right. well. But yes, yeah, so the icebreakers right, were see. Well, it was it was out of social awkwardness. We had Ronan Farrow on. Oh yeah, and I, he works right down the hall from me. And, and so you know, he has you know, I mean, famous name, famous family, and you know, so I, I was very intimidated, and I didn't know what to ask. So I came up with this list, but. The problem is, over the last six weeks or so of doing these, I, I invent them myself every week, and I, I've kind of run out of, like, creative... I, last week, we hit rock bottom, and I asked the girl if she likes whales. And, and it was... <laughs> I was like, all right, moving on. So we actually went to the icebreakers... I think it was icebreakers.com. I want to make sure to credit some site like that. You wouldn't want I'm to not, rip off any... Yeah, I, I'm not... This is not plagiarism, just so you know. If, these, if you end up finding these from a website, some of these are mine. You'll probably guess which ones, but pick a number between 1 and uh, 19, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, uh, ask you the question. Um, 16. 
number 16. Uh, would you... Okay. Would you, in any given group of people, would you rather be the most popular or the smartest? Uh, smartest, obviously, right? Why is that obvious? No, I guess it's not obvious. Well, I've never really been popular. Is this the way, would you rather be Al Gore or George W. Bush? Oh, yeah. I'm not trying to say... Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know what, maybe I'd rather be the most popular because I've never been that person. Um, so, I don't know if I've ever been the smartest, but I've definitely never been the most popular. So, you know what, I think I would actually like that experience. I'd like to know what it was like to have everybody really like me and want to be around me and stuff like that. So I think I would actually want to be the most popular. It was, did you, have you seen the movie Election? Oh, yeah, that's great. Right, so I mean, this is sort of, oh, yeah, do you yeah, want right. to be Tracy Flick? Right. You know, the smartest, the most driven, the but buttons, all, or do you want to be the... the most popular? No, she was the least popular. Oh. And then the, the jock, the football guy, oh, yeah, yeah. was the most popular. And then there was the third one who gets in and is like, I'm running so we never have to sit through another one of these stupid elections again. Yeah, who won? So I, I'm pretty one sure cheated, she right? won, but the teacher, Matthew Broderick, hated her. Oh, yeah. So he rigged the election. Yeah, yeah. And then she found out about it. Right. And then by the end of the movie, he was That's like... A great movie. I loved it. I loved it. Tom Broderick wrote the it, book. Right? It was... Um, right, he got... So then he's driven out of teaching, and it ends with like... He's working at a museum in New York and living in this, like, you know, five-square-foot apartment for, like, 4000 a month. And he sees her, right? And he's in D.C. at a museum, and she's getting into, like, the backseat of a limo with, like, the vice president or something, yeah. and he throws, like, his drink at the car, and he runs away, and it was... That's a good movie. I, I love that movie. Yeah, I, I gotta tell you, I, my answer to that question, too, is I'd rather... Yeah, I'd rather be like the to most. Know what it's like to be popular. Good for good thing for me. It's never been a dilemma. I'm both. <laughs> no, it's I've been I've never been either to be honest. I've, I people mistake me for smart because I wear glasses. I always thought that was. I always tell people that's why I think I got the up show in the first place two and a half years ago. I'm, I'm always confused for, and I don't I don't understand this. Chris Hayes is legitimately right. a brilliant guy. Um, three young white guys in their thirties with glasses, yeah. and so I'm, I, I constantly am walking around in the street and. You know, to the extent they get recognized, it's like you're Chris Hayes, aren't oh, you? Right. <laughs> you know, and I, so I really, I really, I was wondering if that's why I got you're the like, show. Kind of like, you're just sort of like I was in Iceland a month ago. I was in this peninsula I can't even pronounce in West Iceland, and I was at this little cafe that was like built into the side of a cliff overlooking the Greenland Sea or whatever it is. And I was like, a beautiful day. This British couple is sitting there in front of me, and the guy looks at me and he says. You're a television presenter, aren't you? I can't do the accent. And then my ego's starting to get yeah. built up, and he's like, MSNBC, right? I was like, yep. And he goes, Hayes, right? <laughs> and even, in, even in Iceland, I, I can't. Well, let's talk a little bit uh, uh, politics here. Okay, um, yeah, you know, great. You do, you know, you do finance, but the intersection of politics. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this first of all. Just like the, the difference between the two political parties. Yeah right now do, do you subscribe to the theory that they are farther apart than they've ever been it seems like it seems as though they're not they're more than they're incapable of doing anything with each other I don't know if that means that they're ideologically farther apart than they've ever been but it definitely seems like they're water and oil they just there's not even any glimmer of hope that they could work together. So do you, are, you, are you optimistic? I mean, I remember as a kid, I was obsessed with politics too, yeah. and it felt like first election I really remember was 1992, yeah. when Clinton won. And when the election ended, there was all the optimism, new generation, change, right, right. blah, blah, blah. And I remember even 
George W. Bush got in under very disputed circumstances, but even then, when he got in, there was the compassionate conservatism, and he did some stuff with the Democrats. Do you think anything happens? I don't know. I mean, it seems like there was a real difference between 1996. Like, I can't imagine if Dole had won in 1996. Like, George Bush, from day one, there was a lot of hate towards him. Perhaps because he's from Texas, and also because of the disputed nature of that election... And I just remember, you know, it seemed like from the very beginning, he was very polarizing. I don't know for sure, but I can't imagine that Dole would have been as polarizing in 1996. There would have been that much hate for Bob Dole. From the Dole day presidency that never was. Yeah, I mean, I just like, <laughs> would anyone really have cared I mean, one way or another? I don't know. I, but I, it seems like ever since 2000, every election has been this really intense, nation-dividing, ideological battle. Which, I don't know, it was like 1988, when Bush beat Dukakis. Did, any, was, did anyone really... Was like, I, don't, I don't remember. I was only eight, so... I, I, I mean, remember. no, my, like, my, like, theory of the whole thing is that, like, it, yeah, it's not really ideological, it's cultural. Yeah, And, right. and the, the two parties now are... The, the labels, the, the colors, blue and red, are stand-ins... Yeah for all these, like, cultural divides that exist. And they're just, the, the two camps are so clearly defined right now yes, along cultural that. lines that nobody wants to vote for the other tribe. It's tribal. Yeah, I, I, I really think we, we've almost devolved into this, like, tribal thing where, you know, I'm in the red tribe, you're in the blue right, tribe. Right, team you know, affiliation, and I think, I think that's absolutely right. It's, it's less about... I mean, I think, in a way, that's what the Donald Trump uh, campaign is showing, because on paper, it does not fit the normal Republican mold. I mean, obviously, on some things, he's very conservative, but on other things, he blurs the lines, but he gets that tribe of his supporters. That's exactly that's exactly how I've read the message. It's like, he's because he says things that, in some ways, in my list, this should be a Democrat talking about Social Security, right, you know, right. talking about health care, these right. sorts of things. But it's about, he's saying, I want it for but my he tribe. he taps into that strain incredibly well, better than the other probably more conservative candidates on paper. Right, I think he's telling Red America, I'm giving it to you. Yes. We're not giving it to them, Blue America. And they think this stuff usually goes to Blue America. And I, I It's been fascinating to watch. Yeah. Um, let's check in with, with Jeff and find out what other wars we, we should have lost or we did win and I didn't know we won. Well, David has been adding some clarifications to my timeline for the Cuba and uh, Philippines uh, conflict. Uh, points taken, yes, uh, the Spanish-American War ended with the Treaty of Havana. I think they, they go together. Wait, did, did we get the Philippines? Well, so I, I don't know. What, well, I don't know what you mean by yet. Yeah, um, I accept your point. There was a question of whether it was actually flammable, whether it was a city, noting uh, your uh, Biden in or out was the question. They've been a little bit quiet. Uh, well, that, that's, a, that's a good one. Let's do the Biden in or out thing because I'm. What's that one? Joe Biden. So. You have to. Uh, you're a you're a markets guy. Yeah. You got to invest. Joe Biden is a candidate or not a candidate? What do you What do you invest your chips in or whatever you? <laughs> like, would I go long, Joe Biden? Is that what you're asking? I might be. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to put this in investing terms. Bullish, bearish. You know what I think? Um, I think Hillary is probably going to be the nominee, but I don't like my upside. In other words. I don't think that there's much profit to be gained from that. There's a little bit, like, uh, as they say um, in investing, 
picking up a nickel in front of a steamroller. You could probably make a nickel, but is it really worth stepping in front of a steamroller? So yeah, no, this is... I, I, now, I do know gambling. You're talking value. Yeah, right. right. This makes I, sense, right. So, but on the other hand, I think... I, 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 just, I still have a really hard time seeing Hillary not being nominated. Do you think he'll run, though? Gun to my head, No. I agree. You don't think so? Either. Yeah, I think he's gonna look at it. I think he's gonna say like, "Do I really do? I, do I really just want to do this?" He's gonna like, oh, probably not. I think ultimately it's the prospect of not just losing, but losing badly, like losing to Bernie Sanders and Hillary coming in yeah. third place. Yeah, and I think know? like right now he's like at a peak. He's like everybody. There, he's people love him. People loved his appearance on Colbert the other day. People like he could go out really well respected right now. And I think there's actually a chance that if you ran, it might backfire. I could see Hillary Clinton getting a boost from that. It might look opportunistic that he's jumping in when she's weak. And that might be a bad look. And so ultimately, I think that uh, that's kind of a risky move from him. And I suspect that deep down, he doesn't think he would win. It's so much more interesting if he gets in, though. I mean, it's, it's oh, yeah. amazing to me because we were programmed, or at least I was, since the 2012 election to just kind of write off in 2016 Democratic yeah. race. It's right. Hillary's and that's it. And if, if Sanders runs, he gets 9% and, yeah. and that's it. And it, it, I mean, if you had just, you know, a year ago, if you'd shown me the latest polling, which has Sanders up nine points in New Hampshire yeah. and told me this is what you're going to be looking at, and I, I mean, I wouldn't, it's crazy. I could never have seen that coming. It also makes me think, like, all these Democrats who didn't get in, who are interested in running, you know, whether Deval Patrick, Amy right. Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren. I mean, they must be kicking themselves. Look, look is the it opportunity. too late for all of them? I think so, right? I mean, the, the real deadline that I know is like, it's November 6th, I think, is the first state ballot deadline. Oh. So if you're anybody and you want to really get in this thing, you you got to do it by November 6th or you start missing state ballots. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's Alabama is the first one. And they vote early now. They're, they're like March 1st or something. Um, the New Hampshire thing is probably, I think their deadline is mid-November, you know. So can I, let me turn this around. So, like, I, you, like, we were talking about this earlier, but I used to be a huge political nerd, and it went, like, in, a, in college, I made a bet with a friend at a party whether I could name 95 senators, and I named 99. Who'd you and miss? I forget, it was, like, it was one of the, <laughs> one of the Idaho senators I couldn't name. Craig, or Crapo. I think it was, uh... Crapo. I don't know. Probably it was before the Craig scandal. Maybe one of the Wyoming senators. Yeah. But, like, you're, like, that's your thing. Like, you're, like, an encyclopedia of interesting races. It's completely useless. It's completely, yes. It's completely. But it's, like, good at parties, right? It's, uh, yeah, they they can't run away from you fast enough. Well, there was, like, a period, like, I still remember them. Like, I remember, like, a couple years ago. I think it was after the last election. You talk about maybe there was like some guy was like trying to be the uh, the first Republican to be a congressman from uh, uh, Massachusetts since 1996 or something like that. Massachusetts is a crazy and streak. Like, and I was like, Blute, right? To like one of the congressmen. And that, but that was like that was like one of the few random like electrons still firing in my head. Mass- but you know all that. Stuff. Massachusetts has the craziest streak that I can think of in politics. Um, it has been, I, I may be getting the number wrong here, I think it's 101 consecutive elections, so special elections, general elections in November, whatever, where Democrats have won congressional races in Massachusetts. The last time a Republican won a congressional race in Massachusetts was like November 12, 1994. They called a too-close-to-call race 
Peter Torkelson. I remember that name. There's, Tor- there's two Peters, so right? There's Luton Torkelson, these yeah. two Massachusetts Republicans. And they both lost in '96. Right, they both got reelected in '94. They both lost in '96, and never since Massachusetts is the largest single-party delegation state in the country, and is, I think it's 101 straight where the Republican has lost the, the election. I remember there was a great ad in 96. It was because uh, they were on loot and I, Newt. I, I, yes, oh, I know the ad. Do you remember the tagline was? No. You wouldn't vote for Newt, so why would you ever vote for Blute? <laughs> that's and it, great. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean... Yeah, that was it. And it's this tribal... But it's that, like, this is that, like... Do you ever, like, look, like Google those names and, like, try to figure out where, like, yes. Peter Blute is, We're, is? One of the joys of, of the... Um, of the show and the weekend morning show in particular where sometimes we're hard pressed for guests is you know and we have like a round table to fill out three four people is sometimes we can get these people on right. we had Jane Swift on our show oh yeah you yeah. know the former governor of Mass for Wait, you know Mitt Romney defeated her well so Mitt, he pushed her aside basically yeah, right, yeah. there was right. a poll that had her 60 she said if I stayed in I would have won she was 63 points behind she was not <laughs> she was not going to win um, but we, we were able to reach out and have her on the show we had like you know, what Bill, is she up to these days she, I think she is the president of a, a I haven't even heard of it it's a college in Vermont it's oh. a small college in Vermont but I haven't I don't think I've heard of it um, but yeah she was there I mean we can get these you know we did like there was a special congressional election in Massachusetts we were able to have one of the candidates on like weekend mornings at 8.30 in 2013 you can get away with a lot of stuff you know so I've had state legislators I've State senator from Massachusetts who I knew as a kid. He was, I mean, it, it, that was fun. I don't know, the That's audience cool. might not have appreciated it much, but that was like, that was one of the fun things. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like, I, I don't know the, the usefulness of it. Like, I, I political arcana, here's a, here's a completely worthless skill I have. We've, we've done it on this show a few times. Senatorial birth year. If you. Wow, that's like, I never was anywhere close to that. Give me a senator of the last 30 years. Give me a set. Give me someone who was in the Senate between 1980 and 2000, and I think I can give you the birth year. Um, Phil Graham. 1940. Mm. Oh. All right, Jeff, check me on this. Do you want, I'll put down the meerkat and check. Phil Graham. There's, there's, only, there's only there's one of two answers. I'm gonna go with my gut and say 1944. The other possibility is 42. It's 42 or 44, but I'm going 44. 42. Oh, uh, that's pretty good, though. So, uh, <laughs> should we do me, another one? Give me one more to redeem myself. I'm, that's embarrassing. All right. Um, uh, uh, K. Bailey Hutchinson. K. Bailey Hutchinson. 44. Oh, All right, I failed. I have a, You know what? You, Joe, you've exposed me. I feel... I feel. All right, do one more. Bob Smith. Oh, New Hampshire's... I will be answering this, but I first... I worked with Bob Smith's son in college. Oh, really? If you remember, Bob Smith was this Republican senator from New Hampshire who briefly left the Republican Party to run as a as an independent in yeah, 2000 and then, yeah. and then came back, right? And um, his big... His, one of his pet issues was circus elephants. Circus elephant safety. Really? I, I, it was a random thing. I only knew about his anti-abortion. Like, that, so, was, yes, that also, was the main thing. Also that, yes. And also but I didn't elephants. know that elephant. Either. I worked at a, a movie theater in Boston in college, and then there was this kid who was uh, who was working there with us. He went to I went to BU, he went to BC. And I said to this, this girl I was working with, I was like, I was just joking with her. I was like, wow, he really looks like 
um, controversial New Hampshire Senator Bob Smith. <laughs> she goes, actually, that's his son. That's Bob, incredible. Bob Smith like, Jr. Like, recognized, like, recognized. And he, he, had, he had the physical. Like, like, people knew Bob Smith. I mean, yeah. very, very big, big guy. Yeah. Um, what year was he born? No, I, but I'll tell you, you've, you've, really, you've really exposed me. I, uh, I don't know the Bob Smith birth year, but I'm going to go with... Check this one, Jeff, but I, I, I'm failing miserably here. He was elected to the House in 84. He was a teacher before that. He must have been 1941. Boy, I'm getting, I'm getting a New Jersey State Senator named Bob Smith. Yeah, he's from New Brunswick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I looked it up. Okay, is 41. It, is it 41? Well oh, thank God. I feel so much better about myself now. Do you remember um, who we, uh, the who, 1996 Yeah, Yes, yes. <laughs> the best name in politics. Mr. Mr. Richard Sweat. Richard Sweat. A.K.A. Yeah. And do you remember CNN called the election for Sweat? Yes. So that was, uh, yes, Sweat defeated Bob Smith and then the late... Yeah. Rural areas came yeah, in. It was one of the rare times when they made a call and it was over, you know. And it, and it was one of those, you know, we're not gonna, we're gonna wait till all the votes are coming in, and they, it turned out to be right. And then Bob Smith came down to his yeah. uh, victory party, said, "I've been to hell and back." Yeah. And now I'm going back to the U.S. Senate, and I was excited for yeah. it. I was like, "That's gotta be a great feeling." <laughs> yeah, right? be they tell you you're dead, and then and then you're resurrected. Yeah. Um, we had a few more. Let's do another uh, one of these uh, icebreaker questions with you. Give me a give me a number here. Uh, seven. Number se- oh, you hit the uh, multiple uh, multiple choice, uh, multiple part question. This is uh, the overrated, underrated. Okay, uh, good. So you just got to tell. I'm going to give you a series of people, Great. events, things. You have to tell me if they're if they're overrated or underrated. Um, autumn, massively overrated. Overrated. Yeah, massively overrated. You're from Vermont. Autumn. I don't. I don't understand why autumn is considered a season. It's like two weeks. In between, like, summer and it, winter. Okay, I feel like when you get to the mid-Atlantic where we are, it's it's more two weeks, because summer extends yeah. through September. Yeah. And, wi- and winter starts in November. But autumn, autumn is 56 degrees, no, it'd be nice sunny. If it existed. It'd be nice if it, like... Doesn't that. it exist in Vermont? Vermont exists for autumn. It gets cold really fast. My dad I mean, used to take do. us up for the... We used to do the leaf. But no, I've, you I've, must have hated us. No, I didn't mind it, and I like the leaves as much as anyone, but... If it were a real season, then I would like have a discussion. But the fact that it's basically like three or four weeks, I just think like, I don't. It, should, it shouldn't be. It should, there's really it should, there's like three seasons, and then there's this little like break in between uh, summer and winter. Man, so I, I just don't really consider it. A season. I consider it underrated. It is my like uh, this is my favorite time of year. How could it be underrated? Everyone rates it so high. A lot of people rate summer highly. Well, I hate the best summer. Season. Summer's the most overrated season. Sweat, smells, mosquitoes, sports, just eating outside. No, what kind of sports? You only get baseball. No, but you would want to go out and like play basketball oh. and handball and everything. Handball, else. yeah, or croquet, or yeah, all right. That's that's true. I well, tennis. I can play tennis this summer. Now that I have weekends again, I can do that. All right, overrated, underrated. Uh, passenger trains. <laughs> uh, passenger trains. I'd say overrated. They're not that great. And like, but people are like, people really love trains. I'm and one of them. Yeah, we're not seeing eye to eye here. No, no, wonder, no wonder we never talked in the midway. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good thing. All right. Don't you love that? I, I think they only work in certain yeah. parts of the. I think they work in the Northeast, but like. It's a little bit like autumn in the sense that like there are these like hardcore devotees that think they're the most amazing thing in the world, but really they're kind of of limited use. Not. You know, there are passenger trains 
that specialize in fall foliage tours. You must hate those. No, actually, you know, that would actually be fun. I, I don't hate any of it. I just think but like, it's, certainly, <laughs> it's niche. Uh, overrated or underrated tattoos? <laughs> Massively overrated. I don't know. I'm not a tattoo person. Overrated. Can I, like, give you, like, my, like, general philosophy? About Absolutely. It? That's what I'm trying to draw I think out of you. the best things in life are consistently underrated. So, like, Michael Jordan, the Beatles... Chinese food, the Summer Olympics. I think all those things are underrated. Wait, wait, wait. The, run, run it by me again? Yeah. I heard it wrong. The, no, you heard it right. The best yeah. things in life right. are consistently underrated. How could Michael Jordan be underrated? Because there are still like a few people out there that question whether he's the greatest basketball I would, player. Of all the words I could, you could possibly choose to describe Michael Jordan, I would never go with underrated. Yeah, I think like Jordan, the Beatles... Chinese food, Summer Olympics. I would consider all of those things yeah, overrated. Good almost by de- but, but I mean, like, I, and I like <laughs> almost all of those things. I don't no, like the Summer like, Olympics, like, but like, like... Everyone knows they're amazing. Right. But they're actually like even more amazing, I think, than people give them credit for. That's like my general like, life philosophy when it comes to rating. Wow. Yeah. Well, so in that case, I have no idea how this is the last <laughs> one, but overrated or underrated, jury duty. You know what? I think that's probably underrated. Why is that? Well... I've always been, I've never done it, but I've always been really intrigued by the concept of jury nullification and the idea of like a juror, like, and so I just think it's a, you know, it's, it's an, as part of like our uh, civic democracy responsibilities, I don't think people think about that. Oh, I, I think you misunderstood the question. I was talking about the Paulie Shore movie, Jury Duty. (laughs) Are you being facetious? (laughs) I just thought of that. Um, let's check in with Jeff and see if we've got any, any more conversation brewing. Well, I mean, Bloodline 12 says greetings from Mannheim, Germany, so you have an international audience, that's kind of nice. Someone wants to know, uh, have you talked about your new, uh, job situation? There seems to be a couple questions, people not clear about what's happening with Pop, what's happening with you. Did you talk about that? I, I did, I did, yeah. Okay, so that's, that's been covered. Uh, Disagreements about fall and then summer. They're, everybody's happy, no one's too, too talkative. I have a couple of questions. Number one, did you happen to see this poll? Uh, I think it was public policy polling that put Michael Dukakis in the mix as a hypothetical candidate. No. Uh, he out pulled uh, Martin O'Malley. I don't remember what the numbers were, but this was on Twitter late afternoon. Uh, they put Dukakis in the mix just kind of as a was he, was he in like double digits? Or was he I, don't, I don't think so, but like the thing everybody on Twitter thought was funny was that he was getting better uh, traction. That's fantastic. I was also curious, since you were talking about markets before, this uh, story in the Times today about DraftKings and FanDuel, about how their employees have been insider trading uh, across the other, like across each other's platforms. Since some guy made $150,000 on inside information um, that he got from seeing where people were putting their money on DraftKings. Did you see this today? I, I didn't. And, and I'm. Did, did you, Joe, have. So this whole DraftKings. What's the other one called? FanDuel. FanDuel. So people, fantasy sports, you know, it used to be you did your NFL roster once a week, you had your league of 12 friends or whatever, and now there's these two sites that if you watch a sporting event these days, you can't go with commercial break without seeing three ads for these, like, there are these daily things, there's these high-stakes things, you're making money off them. 
So what? If there's a big fraud around it now or something? Did you see this or? Oh, wait, is something just happened today? He said there was a there was a big story. Yeah, in the, the Times had a story today that employees have basically been insider trading off of information where they're seeing who's, what players are going for what teams. That so seems they, like it would be a pretty big story. I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that, like, I mean, it, it does it sound like it's been kind of ripe with internal abuse. Where it does just, seem like it's essentially regulatory arbitrage, right? Like they found a loophole, so that's something that essentially scratches the gambler itch, technically legal. But not particularly re- regulated anyway. So I, I would not be, I don't know what the story is. I mean, that is something, I, my list is overrated, underrated. At the top of my overrated list is fantasy sports. Oh, I, yeah. I hate fantasy sports. Yeah, I, I, you know. I, I tried to do like fantasy baseball one year, and it's like, oh, you gotta like change your pictures. And as soon as I got to that, I'm like, I'm done. No, and yeah. you, you, the whole idea of sports, I mean, a sports fan in general, like, do you, I like some sports, but I'm less, I've gotten to be less of one as I've gotten older. I just think it ruins the experience. If you're watching an NFL game, oh, yeah. cheer for a team. Right. You know what I mean? not it's like not like, oh, I want that receiver to catch the ball, even yeah, though I hate that team. Or it's that's like, a good it, point. It just it takes the fun out of it. So I, you know, I don't like that too much. Um, we got a few minutes left here. Let's let's do some uh, career stuff with you. I was, right. I'm always curious about you know. So you're you started out way back. You like politics. You were really into politics. Yeah. You you got into the uh, you market yeah. analysis or whatever. Now journalism. Yeah. You want to stay in journalism? You want to. You want to do a startup? You want to you want to go into business with me? I got some. I want to invest in something <laughs> at some point. Um, no, I, you know, I really like. I really. There are two things I really like. I, I like the world of markets, and I like media. I find this is a fascinating time in media. There's so much change going on, um, and so I really, I really like what I'm doing. I love talking about and reporting on markets. I don't know if I'll do media stuff forever, but. I've never been a plan ahead type much. I've always been like, I like what I'm doing, and I'm going to keep doing it until I'm bored. And do you ever? That's interesting. So I mean, you're you're you say it that way. So we talked about your hours and your. You don't feel burnout or anything like that. I get um over the years. I go through temporary burnout phases where I'll crash and I just hate life and I want to bury my head. And how do you get out of that? I guess. I just sleep in, and the next day I'm usually fine. You know, I'm taking. Here and then, I'll take a whole week off. Um, but I really, I find it to be a fascinating world, and I like covering it. And I like talking about it and talking to smart people about what's going on, and I haven't gotten bored of it. And you, we, we said, to, I looked this up too at the beginning. You, you have, you joined Twitter in March of 2008, yeah. and you have 228,000 tweets. That's a lot. In that great. time. Do you want to take back any of them right now? Uh, probably. <laughs> Uh, no, but I mean, is that, is that, is it, like, I, I'm, like, I use Twitter, yeah. I mean, as a consumer of it, yeah. it's invaluable to me, because it's, right. it's for exactly the reason you say that, what did I miss? I find out right. what I missed on the way. But, to actually type in a tweet myself, is it, is a somewhat terrifying experience, because I'm afraid I'm going to say the, you know, it's like the question I asked you about losing the war. I'm yeah. like, am I going to answer, am I going to say this the wrong way? And yeah, I think about that. I mean, I, like, I don't talk about very controversial stuff very often. You know, talk about what oil prices are doing. It's not very high risk. You, you mainly stay in your lane. Exactly. I stay in my lane, and I like, I appreciate having a diversity of opinions that I see, but I don't really like to talk about things about which I'm not well informed, and I just, I like to let others inform me on those things. Do you, do you tweet personal stuff ever? I don't know. You know, sometimes, like, I'll tweet happy anniversary or happy birthday to my wife or something like that, or tweet about food or sometimes when I'm on vacation no no I, I think it's interesting I like to learn about the people that I follow I don't really like it when people are always just business 
Right. I like to get to know the people and learn something about the people I follow. Well, it's a, it's a fine line because like, I'm terrified of saying the wrong thing or something yeah. that people will take the wrong way. I'm also like, they have that mute button feature now, yeah, right? And I'm always like, am I being too boring here or self-indulgent or whatever? And like, I'm imagining the people hitting that, like, oh, that asshole again. Button. Like, let me, you know, I use it. Yeah. There's some people, and I'm, we're not going to get into names, but there are some people that I don't follow, but every time I see their tweets. I'm like, they're terrible. They're so sanctimonious. They're jerks. Whatever. And then I always feel really good about when I've muted them. Sometimes, somehow, like, I'll still see because, uh, because hitting the unfollow, there's, re- there's potential no, repercussions like, to no, that, No, right? I never followed them in the first place. But there are some people that when they get retweeted into oh, my screen I see whatever, keeping them out of there's your, like yeah. 100% of the time, like, this person's just a jerk. This person is, like, full of themselves. And I always feel really good. When I see those, like when I, I'm like, oh, I'm really glad. Like every once in a while, I still see tweet something. And I feel really good about myself that I had muted. Cause see, I, yeah, that's because yeah. I have the people that I followed, and then I, I'm kind of like, Ugh, this yeah. is not what I was expecting. Yeah. But then I'm like, I don't want them to know. They right, have those things that will show if you unfollow yeah, people. So I'm, so I'm like, so I hit the mute button yeah. for that, and I, I, you know, and then I realize if I'm doing it to people. Surely, probably muted surely it's being done to me. I'd love to know who's muted me, and I'd love to. I know. But yeah, I, I don't want my mute list to ever come out because then I'd be embarrassed. Is that the next big hack that's going to happen? So. Like, it's I, think right. I think like we're all going to be mortified by who's on our there mute. There is. List. I mean, there is so much stuff online that would probably uh, yeah. yeah, something will destroy you know, me we're online. All destroyable. I always say, I always think that that you know, even the most innocent among us could probably not survive a real like deep dive into our, to our email or whatever it is. I'll be more Dear God, you're scaring me now. <laughs> um, well, so let's just finish up with this. I, 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 here's a new a new feature I want to introduce. Um, I don't know who the next guest on the show is going to oh, okay. be yet. We're going to find one soon. I want you to come up with a question, an icebreaker type question that this future guest will have to answer. This is going to be our new tradition. Oh, wow. This is tough. What is something like, if, I mean, you're a TV host. you yeah. got a guest in front of you and you want to like really probe their soul. Yeah, yeah. What's your what's your go to question? Well, on the uh, on the TV show, the question that we ask once a show, we ask what keeps you up at night, and we usually get some pretty interesting answers just by that question. I like that. And uh, what are, can you think of a few of the good answers, or one of the good answers? Well, people talk about geopolitical stuff a lot, especially on a show about markets. People worry about that. Um, sometimes it's right. It's often, but so, or sometimes it's really technical. People worry about the Fed miscommunicating its intentions, which I can't really imagine that, honestly, keeping up with anyone at night. But it's a range. It's a good open-ended question. People can people can go as deep as they want. With I was going to say, because what keeps me up at night is the fear of death and an eternity of nothingness. Oh, really? It's terrifying. That doesn't but I guess Marcus, at all. You know. That doesn't worry me at all. Really? Well, I just, no, nothingness. That sounds fine. I've never... How does that sound fine? Well, nothingness. I mean, if you're a... I mean, true nothing. You'll never think, you'll never see anybody, you'll never, and it's just, it's just, it, it just lasts. It doesn't end after a billion years. It doesn't end after a trillion years. It just keeps yeah, going. Yeah, but that assumes some level of consciousness. Right, but I'm, I, I, like, that's your fear. Doesn't that render all of this, like, yeah. different? Yeah. Uh, but it's also kind of liberating. No, that sounds sort of grim, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it, it. There's got to be, I don't know. The reincarnation thing, maybe? I don't know. That's your hope. It's not going to happen. Sometimes I have the deja vu feeling, and I'm like, have I done this? But no, I'm, I'm sure I haven't. I'm just, I'm just forgetful. Um, Joe Weisenthal. Thank you. That was Thank great. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. This was really and fun. And now next time I see you on the street, 
now we don't have to like we don't have to cross to the other side yeah, of the screen when we see each other. Um, that was great. Thank, thank you, you very much for um, for watching us on Meerkat tonight. And um, and yeah, I mean, I said at the beginning, if, if anybody was still confused, I just um, if you were watching our, our show up on the weekends, really, thank you for watching it the last few years. Um, you guys have. Um, um, it means a lot to me that people were willing to get up on weekends and, and give us a little bit of time, and it, and it, it kept us going uh, these last two and a half years. And um, I'm excited about the thing I'm moving into now, and, and I hope you'll uh, you'll all keep watching that. Thank you for everybody, everybody who uh, listened on the podcast this week. We're going to do this again soon. We we don't know with who, um, but we'll be back at this bar with somebody else soon, and we'll let you know um, as soon as we know who that is. So until then, thank you, and um, don't stay up too late worrying about death. <laughs>